Chapter 18 For Whom All Things Were Made We have spoken about what can be called the eternal mission of the Word as Son of God inside the Blessed Trinity, that is to say, His procession from the Father. In addition, however, as Word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ is, in the order of creation, the one by whom all things were made. One can therefore say that God the Father also sent him in the creation of all things. Of course, creation is the work of the entire Trinity. It is not the special work of the Word. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost acted in the work of creation. As the Son is the perfect image of the Father, He is also the model of all creatures. In Him were found, for all eternity, all the possibilities for creation in its unity and diversity. Actually, the special mission of our Lord, the mission of the Word, in the mystery of the Incarnation and the Redemption, still goes on. It continues in the Church, in the priesthood, in the expansion of His mystical body and in the fight which His mystical body, given form in some manner by our Lord, by the Word of God, wages against the powers of hell and against the might of the devil. Our Lord, however, is not, as word, only the efficient cause and model of all things. He is also the final cause. For all things were made for him. It is St. Paul who tells us that everything was made for him, not only by him, but also for him. Our Lord is the center and end of all things of every creature. In the Epistle to the Hebrews 2.10-11, St. Paul says, For it became him, for whom all things and by whom are all things, this little sentence is very important, who had brought many children into glory to perfect the author of their salvation by his passion. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. Thus, not only was the world created by the Word and by our Lord, but it was created for Him. St. Francis de Sales speaks about this in his Treatise on the Love of God. Sacred Providence determined to produce all other things, both natural and supernatural, for the sake of our Savior, so that angels and men might serve Him and thus share in His glory. The Holy Doctor emphasizes this point. He explains, Every well-ordered will that decides to favor several objects equally present before it loves better and above all the rest the one most worthy of love. It follows that when God's supreme providence formed His eternal purpose and design of all that He would produce, He first willed and loved with a preference based on excellence the object most worthy of his love. This object is our Savior. Next, he willed and loved other creatures in order, according as they more or less pertain to his service, honor, and glory. Thus, all things have been made for him who is both God and man, for which reason he is called the firstborn of every creature. Colossians 1, 15 possessed by divine majesty in the beginning of his ways before he made anything. 
Proverbs 8.22. St. Francis de Sales paraphrases the epistle of St. Paul to the Colossians. For in him were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominations or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and in him, and he is before all, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may hold the primacy. It is an extraordinary fact worthy of contemplation that all things were made for the incarnate word. Everything that the good God made, all of creation, all creatures, archangels, angels, the history of the whole human race, all was made with our Lord Jesus Christ in mind. This is normal, after all, given that everything is for God and everything returns to God by our Lord Jesus Christ. As our Lord Jesus Christ, being God, has come amongst us, everything should be done for him, and we ourselves are only worth something to the extent that we go towards him or belong to him. It is stupefying to consider the fact that most of the world lives separated from our Lord, and as if he did not exist. If only men had obeyed the order of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave to the apostles, going therefore, teach ye all nations. The apostles did all that they could because they shed their blood so that everyone could know our Lord Jesus Christ, and so that the whole world might be evangelized. However, because of those who have betrayed our Lord or who have denied him, nowadays entire nations find themselves, and have for centuries, living without knowledge of our Lord. If all things have been made for him, all things must be oriented towards him and depend on him. By the very fact of the hypostatic union, our Lord has three essential attributes. He is Savior, Priest, and King. These three attributes belong to him as man. They are proper to him by nature, by his very constitution as God-man. In our Lord there is only one person, the person of the divine word. By the very fact that the sacred humanity of our Lord, that is, his body and his soul, was assumed by this divine person, the man, Jesus Christ, is Savior, Priest, and King. This is normal. It flows logically from his existence, his being, and from the will of God. Consequently, the world should be entirely subject to him. Not a single creature or nation should fail to be subject to our Lord. This is how it should be, and we should be convinced that this is so, so that we strive to bring about the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the continuation of his priesthood. The final consideration is that our Lord is Savior. All peoples and nations should know that there is no salvation possible outside of our Lord Jesus Christ because there is only one Savior. We must be so convinced of this truth that we reject all forms of this false ecumenism that invents ways of salvation other than our Lord which invents a priesthood outside of our Lord and a kingship without him that is to say the reign of man the reign of the people in a word 
this false democracy which places the people in the place of God and of our Lord. This is truly the modern heresy, which can be designated by a new term, for it really seems to be a new heresy in addition to modernism, liberalism, and all these old errors. It seems to me that this new heresy can be called ecumenism, false ecumenism. If there were to be a true ecumenism, it would have to be defined. False ecumenism has it that the Catholic Church is not the only true religion. Men of the Church have invented a new ecumenical church, which places itself on the same level as other religions, which accepts all errors, and by the very fact secularizes all the states. The reign of our Lord Jesus Christ vanishes. Thus, no longer can our Lord reign. He does not reign over the Muslims or the Buddhists. He does not even reign over the Protestants who no longer believe or who scarcely believe in his divinity, and who certainly do not believe that the Catholic Church is the one true religion. These considerations show why we must always return to the essential fundamental truths. What is our Lord? The great problem of humanity lies in the answer it gives to this question. Whereas, for us who believe, it is extremely consoling, fortifying, and even invigorating to think that the one for whom all things were made is our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs>